0: I'm Ricky
1: and I'm Joe and this is season three episode 11 of the beer and broadband podcast supposed to come out on September 18th 2023 if I edit everything and do it by the time that it's supposed to come out today we are drinking the Acer Glen that I made uh, earlier this year Uh, I bottled it on the 9th of July of 2023 and it is 13% ABV Uh, and for those who don't know what an Acer Glen is it's basically maple syrup and uh whatever honey for this one i put orange blossom honey in it and uh you need to have for it to be a mead it needs to be more than half of the or half or more of the fermentables are you know a honey so that said wonder what ricky thinks about it
0: this is actually pretty good i mean it's very mild in the sense of like a a maple flavor it's hard to pick that out
1: mm-hmm.
0: but when you talk about a mead, we often make all these things that have, like, fruits in them, you know, all these other things to flavor them. But this is very much like a traditional mead. I yeah. mean, it is alcohol that's a little bit sweet, very smooth. And I, I'm wondering how much of that is that maple syrup.
1: It absolutely I mean, is a lot of the maple syrup. Yeah. So, so that buttery flavor that you get on the end all comes from the maple syrup.
0: Yeah, and just the smoothness overall. How um, how old is this?
1: Um. It, it from from the time that I started making it, I made it started making it sometime before we went to the concert for Tenacious D. So like April, and then I bottled okay. it in in June. So it's not that old. It's like no. six. Uh, well, it'd be even less than that. It's like uh, four months old.
0: Yeah, I mean that's very young for a mead to be this smooth. Like, yeah, a lot of meads, like traditional meads, that don't have anything else in them. You're aging those for a year to get something that's, like, enjoyably drinkable. Right. But this is already there. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is enough of an improvement that I would seriously question if I was going to make something just like a plain mead. Or maybe even just as a base mead to then go flavor back to use something like this. Because yeah. the mead flavor is there. It's just the other qualities, the smoothness, and some of the, like, the other smaller notes are just much better than just a plain mead.
1: And there's a, a liquor, whiskey, it's not exactly whiskey, but there are some whiskeys that I've had that have like the same sort of note. Also some tequilas that I have had mm-hmm. that have had the same sort of like buttery note in them. Yeah, th-
0: there's a richness to it. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that's the best way I can think to describe it. You know, it's it's not a flavor that you detect. It's not like, oh, that's definitely maple syrup or like, oh, that's definitely this thing. It's just that overall, the mouthfeel is very good.
1: Yeah, it cre- it, it ups the mouthfeel. It takes away some of that wateriness that mm-hmm. um, that meads often have if you make them go dry. Because this, I made I made this a dry mead, right? I, that's I think mm-hmm. it's um, it's gravity at the end was uh, one dot or one or something like that. Because okay. it didn't. There's clearly some non fermentable sugar, mm-hmm. sugars in there um but i mean it it still it was dry it um okay i also have a thing where i think if i booch shade the honey and then you know mm-hmm. made it into an acerglin that it would
0: yeah like There could definitely be something to that some yeah, the, yeah yeah because of like yeah. the smoothness that you get off of that i yeah. can definitely see that well the
1: bochés tend to have like a especially the orange blossom bochés that i've made they have like that kind of buttery whiskiness to mm-hmm. them uh, or just the lickery when i say liquor i don't mean i mean like liquor like alcohol yeah yeah um that that kind of um feeling that it's like a viscousness and mm-hmm. um uh, and and, the, and that extra flavor that comes with that i, I just i'm i'm super stoked about uh, what this will be like even in a year. Because I still have one bottle. Oh,
0: it. yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I probably need to get this recipe off of you. Because this might be one of the most foolproof ways, I think, to make a mead. You get a product you can drink a lot faster. Mm-hmm. Cause it's hard to get someone into like, oh, I'm going to make a mead for you. Or we'll make a mead together. But we're not going to drink it for like a year. Yeah. You know, this you can drink pretty fast. This is only like a, a couple months aged in bottle. So... Yeah, it's yeah, like three months, something like that. June, uh, so high, the yeah. end of
1: September. Yeah, and I did it at the beginning of July, so yeah.
0: Yeah, or yeah, if it was July, even two months, you know. Yeah. Um, and if this has gone all the way dry, there is still a pleasant amount of sweetness left. Yes. So it's like you don't even have to worry about cutting it off at any point or cold crashing it or anything. Nope. Or even back-sweetening. Yep. Like, this is literally... I think if I went out and just said, I'm just going to make a plain mead, nothing but honey and mm-hmm. water, I could not make a plain mead better than this. So, if this is just the addition of one additional ingredient, some of it's you mm-hmm. know, just maple syrup, that's, th- that's such a great foolproof method of I'm going to still just dump a bunch of stuff in, set it, forget it, let it just ferment all the way through. Yep. Yeah, that's a, that's a good discovery. I really like this. Yeah.
1: Uh, okay, so... I mean, I did, well, full disclosure, if anyone that's listening at home wants to kind of repeat this, you know, it's, you, you need to use some sort of, um, nutrient with it too. I, I only made two gallons of this as of the experiment, uh, but I'm going to end up making more. I've got six gallons of Acer downstairs making right now. Um, but I'm making that into a coffee mill <laughs> because mm. I believe that, um, so, okay, went to Canada and we'll talk about that a little bit later on Mm. you know went to ltx i told i I said something about that last um the last the first part of the season and uh while i was up there you know i had maple syrup a little bit some canadian pancakes and Mm -hmm. all that other stuff right Um, and on the way back uh, or the day before we came back venus and i went and got some coffee at a coffee roaster, and I was like, you know, this would be great if I got coffee from here, and then I got Canadian maple syrup, and I made an acerglund, like the one that I made before, that we're going to talk about next mm-hmm. next time. On the, so that's what's going on downstairs. I've got the coffee in the cabinet that I, I bought some in Canada. Mm-hmm. I am going to make a Canadian coffee mill Acer Glen. Okay. and I don't know what that's going to be like, but I have half of it, six gallons, uh, six gallons um, total. Three gallons are Beaux-Shade, and three gallons are just regular. Yeah, yeah. So we get to try them. Yeah. Well, up. I
0: mean, this is still this is a fantastic base to do anything with. Yeah. So like, there's a lot less work that coffee needs to do in the coffee mill to get something really special.
1: I I agree, and you know I'm gonna do the the thing that I did last time with the coffee mill where I took the coffee and I just put it in the mm-hmm. the brew afterwards. So okay. I'm expecting it to be be pretty good. I think it'll be all right. Um, all right. So let's talk about Unity charging developers per install. Have oh, you heard about no. this? Oh,
0: I mean, how has anyone connected to anything in gaming <laughs> not heard about this? It's everywhere. And it's such a silly thing to do.
1: Yeah. So just for anyone that hasn't decided uh, to, to check in on this at, at any point, or for some reason, isn't like completely aware of what happened or anything like that. Basically, the new president of, of uh, Unity, or I guess he's been the president for a little while, he's, he was from EA. Um, he's, you know, famously um, noted for talking about charging players to reload their guns while he was at EA. Mm-hmm. Um, not exactly in context. He and the board of directors got together. They made a policy where, per every install that you have of a game that was developed with Unity, like if your game studio gets over a certain amount of installs, Mm. you owe so many cents. I think it's like twenty cents per install or something like that. Yeah, it's it's
0: that their classic like sliding scale where it's like more expensive at the low end and the more you get, it gets cheaper. I think past something, it was something like $2 million or whatever. It was like yeah. a penny after that.
1: Something like that. But, but still. The, With the way that it's set up, certain games, especially like maybe free-to-play games that are made, mm-hmm. they would owe more than they make in revenue because of their you know player base is just so big and installs so much. Also, one of the other things that kind of came out about this is... They had a GitHub that tracked changes in their policy. They deleted that. And there was a clause in the policy uh, previously, before they deleted mm-hmm. the GitHub, that uh, had said, you know, games would be exempt if they had been made with Unity before this policy went into effect. Yeah, That was yanked out. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's a pretty scummy practice. I'm not saying, you know, yeah. boycott Unity, but... Kind of.
0: Well, also, you know, the place Unity really puts themselves is they started off as like a small, easy to get into engine for indie games. Right. But then they have, they do have some fairly large commercial studios that use them. Right. And so I what I really wonder is for some of the things like taking down the GitHub and kind of more closely hiding the policy is preparing for the legal battles they're going to have to have with the big developers.
1: I, I think so, Yeah, definitely. a small
0: indie dev doesn't really have the resources to go sue Unity. But, like, there are some games, like, on Xbox and PlayStation and, like, that are under those companies where, like, Sony can just say, mm, I'm going to take you to court over that one. So I can understand, like, the only policy that will be on the document is our new one. And, and I, I'm not going to let you see changes because then that can, like, lead to more difficulties in my like, later legal battles. Yes,
1: absolutely. And, and I also think that... The original way it was written was per install, so like it's not per like operating system that it's mm-hmm. installed to, it's not like per computer that it's installed to. It's like yeah. if you delete the game and reinstall the game, they get charged.
0: Yeah, I believe you have to launch it, it's like every for every first launch of the game essentially is what it becomes. Yeah. But yeah, essentially, yes, you could try and script something like that and make problems. I mean, those problems exist. There are other engines that do that. Yeah. But the real hit is just unity. You are kind of an undisputed. If you're going to be an indie dev, this is probably the engine to use. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Godot had been really trying to eat up some of that market and it has a fairly good engine. Yeah. Uh, so when you have a competitor who's that far behind, but also still that close, if that makes sense, it's like there, there's no refuting your number one, but like there is an acknowledged number two. Why would you do something like this to yourself? <laughs> yeah, I don't because know. <laughs> there's already a bunch of games that are saying they're moving over to Godot, and it's like yeah. Godot can't do everything Unity can. But if it gets a sudden, a sudden injection because some what would have been an incredibly popular title that already has all the marketing, already has all the hype, is just going to switch to your platform. Even if you're not monetizing as much, that sort of cash injection into their company could very well help them get the resources they need to put those things in their engine. Yeah, that absolutely. Unity doesn't have, absolutely. Or that, you, know, you know, Unity has that they don't, and then like you've really just messed yourself up because now you've got a real number two, right? Who can do everything you can do, but is now just charging less. <laughs> yeah. You're not going to win that fight. Now it's a race to the bottom,
1: right? It, it, it Competition is good in these things, um, so I'm not saying that that shouldn't exist. Um,
0: but God, that is... It's just a misstep, and I wonder... Yeah. Like, I, I don't know if Unity is a publicly traded company, but if it is, I wonder if this is about marketing, where it's like, look, mm. I can get my stock price a little bit higher because we'll be making more money as the company, which we'll is more money to the investors in the short term. I mean, surely long term, I think this will hurt them. But, well,
1: the... I think they thought it was going to hurt them in the short term because a lot of their. Uh, now, I know that executives do like stock selling like as a normal mm. thing all the time. Yeah. But uh, like a week before they made these changes, all of their like C team or something like that. Yeah, st- we, sold all their stock. Well, or we, sold a bunch of their stock. Yeah. Well, we
0: would stock. have to know when they received those stocks because mm-hmm. that's actually very common. C-suite holding on to stock of their company. Um, it's pretty rare right. because then you open yourself up to allegations of insider trading. Right, right, So what a lot of places do is they get their shares either as part of their salary or bonuses or whatever, and as soon as it vests, they sell them all yeah. um, to avoid those allegations. Yeah, so, so it, it just looks bad. It's not necessarily – Well, I it's... mean, it, it could be either one. Like if we yeah. find out that those things vested eight months ago and they're choosing to sell them right now, yeah, that's, a, that's bad. That's yeah. probably insider trading. But if they vested the week before and then they just sold them all immediately, then okay, yeah, that's yeah. fair. Um, just don't have all the info on that one. But it's definitely, it definitely feels like it has to be motivated by something other than long-term success because it's a terrible move for long-term success.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, I, I agree with that. Sure. Um, I, th- I think the whole
0: thing just looks bad. It, it's like an EA play. Yeah, it definitely <laughs> looks bad, which which makes me I just wonder like, uh, is something else going on at Unity? Mm-hmm. Like,
1: well, they're not profitable know. right now, they they haven't been profitable for like two or three quarters, oh, so
0: that, okay. could, that could that possibly could possibly be part of it. They could be part looking of at it. like something like bankruptcy or large layoffs yeah. and say, Look, we just need more money, here's how we're gonna get more money. Yep, um, but even then, though, I, I don't remember the pricing off my head, I'll have to review it. But it would make sense to me if that was your issue, what you should really be doing is having a cutoff, like your first 500,000 installs are free. Right. Or something like that. Because in the small indie developers, they don't care.
1: Yeah, they don't get once, hurt.
0: Once you're selling 500,000 plus copies and you're saying, "Okay, and now I'm going to charge you, you know, a penny or 5 cents or whatever for install after those first 500,000." Um, you know, you still might have to contest with some of the really big players who are selling millions and millions of copies. They might not like that. But most people, when they make an indie game, are not thinking, what happens when I sell 500,000 copies?
1: Well, also, what happens when, um, in five years, the indie developer's gone out of business, but the game still exists, and it's like on Steam, and you can download it and install it because you bought it? How do you get money out of those people? I
0: mean, that's a good question. You know, Even if you delist your game, it still exists for the people that have it. Yep. So I mean, at that point, I th- well, I mean, at that point, you're le- you, if you've like dissolved as a company, you're no longer the legal entity, so you're no longer responsible. Yeah, but would That's Steam be balancing. responsible at that point in time? They shouldn't be, I would think. Otherwise, Steam would just say no more Unity games. Yeah, possibly. Because what's to stop someone from making a game that does nothing but un- like reinstall itself when you hit play? Yeah, <laughs> you know. Um,
1: well, I mean, but why why would that be a a thing? Because that would just charge that developer at that point in time.
0: Not if they immediately dissolve.
1: Oh, and then I can like I made a game. Yeah. I
0: bought it. Uh, me and five of my friends bought it. Uh, we dissolved the company. And now we're just running the game, which auto installs itself and reboots itself in a And loop then, on and a then bunch launches of itself on a bunch of computers. Yeah, we're going to see we, how much money we can cost Steam this quarter. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that would be crappy.
1: Okay, I'm getting depressed. Let's move on to the next topic. Yeah, it's <laughs> a
0: dumb idea. I mean, again, <laughs> other engines have it. This isn't like it's a unique thing to right. Unity, but it is such a weird misplay for Unity to do it.
1: I, I feel like I live in the worst timeline <laughs> right now. <laughs> All right, so the next one is not much better, but I think that this has already been kind of rectified by Bethesda and I think Bethesda's mm-hmm. made a hard stance. They're not doing this right now. Uh, but Starfield had a Starfield didn't have DLSS yeah. like so you know you couldn't like crank up the graphics and then use DLSS on Nvidia cards really with any certainty mm-hmm. to, you know, or, or on a lower-powered NVIDIA card at that time to, like, you know, kind of make things a little bit more beautiful um, and maybe perform a little bit better. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it works well with, like, consoles because they're all AMD-based, works well on AMD-based systems, but a developer created a DLSS mod.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That DLSS mod... Um, allowed for, you know, that to work properly, right? In order to get access to it, you had to pay $5 a month. Yep. And in, when you quit getting access to it, I think it turned off your license or whatever.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. So I, Yeah, I heard it was just on his Patreon, and that's, you had to basically use the member link to download it.
1: Yeah, that I, that could be it. Um, I've heard, I heard two different things about it. So either way, this is not about that developer. Yeah, yeah. This is just what brought the topic up in my mind. Mm-hmm. Alright, so in the future, is it possible that we could see mods that are paid for, you have to pay for them through Patreon or something like that mm-hmm. on a subscription basis, and that's how some of these modders like start getting financial you know, income for their modding efforts, like as a second job or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And I know that's kind of against the spirit of the modding community in a lot of ways. So as a person who mods games Mm -hmm. who's made a couple of mods themselves for like skyrim and uh morrowind right wasn't that
0: yeah morrowind oblivion skyrim yeah also did some for fallout 3 new vegas bunch of ones right
1: so you've made some mods they i mean what do you think about that i'm not going to give my opinion
0: yet yeah no that's not going to happen it's turbo illegal people try and do it all the time Once the if a mod gets popular bethesda takes it down um because it's essential, it gets back into that, like, you're making your mod with resources that are from my engine, so if I don't defend them, I lose the copyright. Yeah. Turbo illegal. People still try and do it every now and then. Um, you can still have mods on Patreon. They just can't pay for them. Right. So, like, you can have to be, like, free downloads, and you're really using that for donations or something like that. Um, so, to that extent, like, what this guy did, no. That's what made it so surprising. It's like, okay, yeah, you made a mod that a lot of people wanted. Yes, you saw an option to make revenue off of it, but by making it have to be paid for, you have now broken the law. People are going to come after you. Right. If you had just been a free download link on your Patreon, it's like, hey, I make mods. If you want to support me, pay me five bucks a month. That would have totally been above board. Right. So, like, why didn't you just do that? Like, you took the greedier option, but also the option that's now going to land you in legal hot water. Right. So, you know, good luck giving all that money back. I mean, most likely Patreon probably never even gave it to him, possibly um, because yeah. it was it wasn't legal. But what we will probably see is I do think we're going to see some very tight integration with their creation club because they've already announced that the mod maker is going to come out at the same time the creation club becomes available okay. early next year.
1: So no yeah. more like Nexus mods with Starfield? No, really? I
0: think we'll still have Nexus mods. Like mm-hmm. The creation club has always been about, that's just like, it's an easy way to get mods on consoles. Right. Because a lot of, like, console stuff gets weird with that. Yep, One, yep. I mean, apart from just difficulty of the user, um, a lot of policies for, like, places like Xbox and Sony don't really like the idea of modding. So, it has to, like, be integrated into the game. Um, so, there's that whole run of it. I'm interested to see, though, that the Creation Club even came back. Because I yep. assumed when they got bought by Microsoft... And then Microsoft released all of their, whatever the most recent edition was, the anniversary edition. Yeah, the or whatever, anniversary edition. Um, that had a bunch of the Creation Club paid content mm-hmm. all bundled in. I had assumed that was kind of the last hurrah of Creation Club. But the fact that it's coming back, I'm actually, I don't know. Is there going to still be monetization on that? Like, it was always optional, but is there right. going to be optional monetization? That is, they're not. If the stuff that got modded was generally, the stuff you had to pay for was generally stuff that, like, Bethesda had had some hand in. Right. And like making sure it was always compatible and everything like that. Will that sort of system be coming back? So I don't know. So that that's an interesting run of it.
1: Well, so then that brings me like to the next kind of thing of this. So we already know that Bethesda has kind of monetized Mm -hmm. mods a little bit with the Creation Club. Is it possible that they turn mods into like DLC type things where you either have to pay a subscription to be able to maintain the game think like Elder Scrolls online mm-hmm. and be able to get some of those cosmetic or game altering things that someone else made maybe they that developer gets a little bit of a cut of it but you know for each mod you have you have to pay like yeah. 10 or 15 or 20 extra cents per month on your you know thing and then as soon as you turn off your subscription you lose access to those mods or is it something where maybe like horse armor, which was mm-hmm. really the first DLC that happened, you know, for uh, any appreciable thing? I don't think it was the actual. Well, maybe it was the first DLC. You know, you had to like go into the store and buy the horse armor. I still remember this from, from yeah. Oblivion, right? Um, could horse armor type DLC become what mods are like, where you have to pay for each mod that you want? Uh, for the I game? don't
0: think so. Not in the grand scheme, because that already existed in Fallout 76. Mm -hmm. That's what their whole little shop there was. Right. Um, And that didn't go over very well. I mean, it could certainly return. I mean, I wouldn't say that they're not going to have some sort of shop that has cosmetics in it or something like that. But it's also, just like it's illegal for you if you make a mod to go paywall it because of Bethesda's engine, they also can't paywall you making your mod. So, like, if your mod is free, they cannot charge somebody to install it because they didn't do the work on that. Now, there was something you said there that might have a grain of possibility of the, like, well, the Creation Club now costs $2 a month. Right. So, for you to be able to install mods on consoles, there's now a charge for it. The mods themselves are still free if they want to be, which I could maybe see, but I think that would it would certainly open them up to possible legal action. Mm -hmm. I'm just not sure anyone would actually bother to sue because it's not the customers that would be able to sue. It would be the the mod makers. And I don't know any mod maker who would decide to enter a legal battle over that versus just, I'm just not going to release my mom, the creation club.
1: So my, you know, I agree with everything you said. I didn't give my opinion because I've never modded a game. It's it's kinda Mm -hmm. like, you know, um not being not having experienced something, not being part of something. I'm not a woman. I don't really have any like say in women's issues for the most part, right? Mm -hmm. Um because of that, I feel kinda like anything that I said might be from a place of ignorance, but That's kind of the conclusion I came to. Yeah. Like it would be there would have to be some legality that would prevent it from being like really possible. And the only thing that they could do is maybe paywall off the creation club. If the creation club ever did that, how would that make people being able to have sustainability in the game? Like you know, you ten years later are they still gonna maintain the creation club like they have for Skyrim? After they, well, the Creation Club isn't 10 years old in Skyrim, but Skyrim is a 10, yeah, yeah. 10 year plus old game. How do they, well, is it? No, it's not.
0: Yeah, it's not like 12 years old. Yeah, it's like, like 12. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, so 10, 10 year plus. Yeah, I was right. Um, So, you know, they, how do they maintain that? and how do they keep that so that you can still get access to it because once you start something like a service like that Mm -hmm. you have a responsibility to make sure that people can still access things like that that they've bought
0: yeah 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 i think that's also one of the reasons why they went with the whole anniversary edition where they like packed up everything that was kind of paywalled and just gave it in one like thing that's now part of the game right um but i still think i think we'll still we'll see some things like that because i think That is probably the closest you can get to paid mods that everyone's okay with, where it's optional for the modder. They only have to charge for it if they want to charge for it. And if you're going to charge for it, Bethesda steps in and makes sure there's a level of quality control. And that there's a level of continued compatibility. Yeah. You know, that like, hey, once this becomes something that you can buy and pay for, then as we update the engine and stuff like that, we will make sure it does not break so that people can still play it you know, things of that nature. Absolutely. So, you know, I can see that I still don't, I would never pay for any of them. Right. (laughs) You know, but I don't think it's a moral issue. I don't think it's a legal issue. You know, like if some people want to do that, they can do that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that'll be the, the the big run of it. But I am excited for the the mod tools to eventually drop, especially because, as in almost all Bethesda games, the previous mod tools still work. Yep, they're just not feature rich. <laughs> so you're already seeing mods come out. The script extender yep. got released like three or four days after the game went public. So there's already people able to do custom coding and things like that, or
1: transfer their you know highlight the book mod that you haven't read. You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like to, these, these to mods
0: that. Uh, <laughs> require some sort of outside coding because when you're in the Bethesda game you essentially have to stick with their scripts but the script extender gives those internal things like a lot more access to the engine so that's always the first huge mod to come out like modding has not started until they find a way to insert the script extenders right But then you can transfer,
1: like, older mods to this game, like happened with some of the uh, Oblivion mods to Skyrim and some of the Skyrim mods. Yeah, generally,
0: depending on what's wrong, some of them can just be immediately ported. Other ones have to be rebuilt, but the same mechanics there. So you're able to recreate those mods.
1: All right. Well, do you have anything else you want to say about that?
0: No, I think that's good.
1: Okay, cool. Um, So this has been Season 6, Episode 11 of the Beer and Broadband Podcast. Slated to come out on September 18th, 2023. And thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time.